Hi, Stephanie here. I am an entrepreneur, lobbyist, wife, mother, book lover, and political junkie. I think gender equality is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And I love to learn, especially from other women. So I started Women Don't Do That, a bi-weekly podcast and blog to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. Jamie McMillan has been working across Canada as a journeyman ironworker in the construction industry since 2002. In an effort to expand her knowledge and increase her opportunity, she recently began a secondary journey as a boilermaker. Jamie is also the founder of Kick-Ass Careers, which is a grassroots initiative creating awareness to influence those of all ages and walks of life to consider careers in underrepresented occupations through school and community outreach. Welcome, Jamie. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. No problem. I enjoy it. I wanted to share a little bit how we met each other. Technology is great. It was through LinkedIn and some mutual connections we have. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for technology. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to kick off by asking you, what does COVID life look like for you right now? Um. When COVID originally hit, it was, I was in the middle of uh, basically a school tour. Um, and I, I was actually down in Portland, flew up to BC, and then I came back to Ontario and everything shut down. And so all my speaking gigs from March of last year up until October of this year were canceled. So it just threw me into a whole other world. And normally I would just go back and work on the tools because I'm an iron worker by trade and an apprentice boiler maker. So I was going to head back to the tools, but some of the tool job sites were kind of coming to an end too, because they were taking precautionary measures. So I ended up volunteering originally at a homeless shelter and that turned into a part-time job that I did all summer which I really loved. So I didn't go back to skilled trades. And then moving forward into the school year, I ended up having to learn how to do virtual presentations, which turned out to be a real blessing in disguise because now I can get to more places in a day than I was able to travel to being on the road all the time. So it's been an adjustment learning how to do online presentations and be just as engaging with youth but I've been lucky enough to have the youth and the educators support me and teach me how to do it the way they want it done. So it's ended up turning out to be quite a great success. Oh, amazing. It has been interesting as I was reading up different things about you, I can tell that you are a person who engages youth and, and wants to raise their voice and you adapt your presentations and different things for you know, what will really work with them. And given the work that you do, I think that's so important. Thank you. And the best way to get feedback from your crowd as to how they want to see you present is to take their advice and implement it. And so that's what I've done. I, every day was a learning experience and I still continue to get feedback from students and I take it to heart and I make sure to embed it in every presentation and it just keeps making my success that much greater and the engagement piece is becoming, you know, more um, relevant to the way they want to hear it. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It, I think it also points out like how important feedback can be. It can be scary, but if it makes you better and it's constructive, it's actually very helpful. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. 
what motivates you to live your best life? Um, I just, it was really finding a career that I loved. And because your career is such a big aspect of everything you do, I mean, in most cases, your career is going to be one third of your life. And yes. so to find something that you love to do is going to affect every part of your life. Because if you have a job that you hate, you're going to wake up dreading going to work. You're going to be at work miserable. You're going to come home, take it out on your friends and family. You won't be able to sleep at night. But in my late 20s, when I discovered apprenticeship and uh, earn while you learn opportunity, it was creative. It was my type of learning for somebody who has ADHD. And I learned that this was the type of lifestyle and learning that I liked and the type of career that I liked. It started to change my life so drastically that I became very passionate about educating youth about the opportunities to get into trades because when I was in school, it was college and university. Those were the pathways and I was not academic, so it wasn't what I wanted to do. So finding a career is everything that changed my life and that has helped me live my best life, really. And it provides me with the sustainable income that I need to have the life that I want to live, which is mm -hmm. amazing in itself. I think it's an important message because it can be scary and challenging to change what you do for work, but there are so many ways to find fulfilling work that, that you enjoy. And sometimes it's not changing sectors. Sometimes it's just working somewhere else. But I think, you know, sometimes we get stuck in these ruts and it's important to hear those kinds of messages to, to encourage people in case it's time to try or do something differently. That's right. I think that, um, especially for youth, um, they, they need to know about all their opportunities. And it's important that we get that message across that there are so many different opportunities and we shouldn't direct them into the areas that we feel they need to go into. We have mm -hmm. to really motivate them to go into the areas that they want to go into and follow their own heart. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important message because when you think about their interests and skill sets, if you force them to do something they don't want to be doing, they aren't going to be successful and they're not going to enjoy it. Yeah. We're setting them up for failure when we push them to do things. I mean, uh, for example, I went to school to become a personal support worker based on my parents thinking that I would be very good in healthcare and encouraging me to take that route. And as much as I loved the aspect of helping people, it wasn't the job for me. It wasn't where I belonged. It didn't make me happy. It didn't make me want to further my career in that industry. So when I discovered skilled trades and found out that this was where I should have been all along, it really opened my life to a whole other opportunity that I never thought existed. So that's why I'm so passionate about educating youth now. It's a wonderful story. How can you talk to us about your career path? Like, you talked a little bit about from high school moving on. Can you talk a little bit about how you got to what you're doing today? Okay, so there's a bit of a convoluted story to that. So not an academic student, high school dropout, went back to school later as a mature student to get into, um, uh, I became a personal support worker because it's my, where my parents angled me to go to. I left that industry and I became a bartender in Toronto for a number of years and I hit this party scene so hard because I didn't know where else to go with my life and I had no interest in post-secondary. Moved to Hamilton in 2002 and in a chance meeting, when I was walking down the street, I ran into a girl who was not my high school friend. We were actually not friends whatsoever. Um, she happened to be driving down the street and pulled over to answer her phone and needed a pen. And I was the random stranger walking by the car that she rolled down the window and asked for a pen. 
And we ended up chatting. She recognized me and she told me about apprenticeship. And I ended up going and applying for an apprenticeship, knowing nothing about it. I got the job and I started this earn while you learn opportunity. And that is basically where I ended up where I am today. Um, it was a couple of years into my apprenticeship when I realized that there was very few women in this industry. And I started to think, man, if maybe they just don't know, maybe there needs to be more education around this. So I started to advocate with um, organizations like Skills Ontario, volunteering, um, and eventually through that over the years, I went from a mentor at a table to a panelist on a panel to a speaker up in front to doing workshops and that evolved into what I now have as kick-ass careers. And as I continued to do it, people were so motivated by what I was doing that they asked me if they can join my team and become ambassadors. So now Kick-Ass Careers is recognized across Canada and the United States, currently represented by 17 different skilled trades ambassadors and continually growing. So it's taken my success from construction worker to motivational speaker, educator, and um, entrepreneur, business owner, just something I never thought I would be. Mm -hmm. That often happens with our careers, right? And yeah, that just when you think about how random it was to have the pen for the woman that stopped and then you knew her. Can you talk a little bit about an iron worker and a boiler maker? What, what do they do and how do you become those things? Okay, so it's all through apprenticeships. So basically I do, so I work with steel. So they're both metal trades. And so they require metal fabrication, welding, uh, connecting, working with cranes, working with heavy material um, and moving things around a job site. So basically as an iron worker, I'm gonna explain it like anatomy. So if you think of a skeleton in your body, your skeleton is uh, that frame that holds you in the upright position so you're not like a blob of skin on the floor. And if you think about iron working, this is big buildings and bridges that need to be supported by something that is structurally sound and strong. And so iron workers basically put the structural steel bones into things like buildings and bridges and that holds it in that upright position. As a boiler maker, we're gonna go over, over to like the organs and vessels in your body. So um, when you think about, you know, a vessel in an oil plant, a gas and oil plant, it's something that would take extract that, you know, that stuff from the ground that comes through and it goes through a filtering process and then it gets, uh, that's in the vessel and then it gets stored into a tank. So a boilermaker would build that vessel and they would build that tank. And boilermakers, because ships are vessels, are also shipbuilders. Um, I'm learning about this trade, so I can't explain it as thoroughly as ironworking, but it's basically the same concept. It's taking pieces of steel, cutting them, fabricating them, and either bolting or welding them together. That was very interesting. We have listeners from all over the world, but for people who don't know, like in Canada, uh, construction and trades are really good, well-paying jobs. And I think so many people just don't realize that. No, no, it's, it, you know, because it has a bad reputation. You think about it, um, years ago, they had all these classes in schools and then all of a sudden technology came and everyone was getting in the, into IT and they forgot about the shop classes and they brought all this other technology and stuff in. And then our infrastructure starts falling apart and we don't have the trades professionals 
to put it all back together and to keep it and maintain it and build it. And so now they're realizing in the aftermath that, wow, these positions are really important because we need plumbers, we need electricians. Um, and then we all also need those trades that nobody even knows about. I didn't know what an iron worker or boiler maker was. What's mm -hmm. a sheet metal worker? What's a, you know, there's so many different trades. And when you think about it, everything around us from like, even think of space stations, think of deep mines underground, none of that stuff is possible without skilled trades professionals. And so this is a vital part of our society and we need these people. And so we need to bring back that motivation to people that these are viable careers and they're global careers. You can work anywhere in the world in construction mm -hmm. and that's an amazing opportunity as well. Yeah, and th there's something about, I, I grew up in, my dad taught robotics at Algonquin. He was the coordinator at Algonquin in Ottawa for robotics. Um, and everything was hands-on, there was nothing anything that was broken, my dad would fix, whether it was the car, the TV, the radio, stuff would sit there forever because he just wouldn't pay somebody to do it. But, you know, having the skill sets to do some of those things, having the confidence to do some of those things, it makes such a difference. And even just for saving money for the things you want to get done in your house, right? Like it's um, just incredible skill sets to have. Oh, absolutely. One of my biggest passions, like when I talk to youth about skill trades, so today I was talking to grade seven and eights, and I was trying to encourage them that when they get to high school, they should take these programs. So basically, in my opinion, every high school should, it should be compulsory credits that you take an auto class and you take a construction class. Yeah. And that's because those are basic skills that we all need. So those essential life skills that are transferable, everyone should know how to maintain a home and a vehicle. And I always tell the kids, I'm like, you want to know the, the, the secret that rich people have? And they're like, what? I'm like, if you want to be rich, you've got to think like a rich person and you've got to be cheap with your money. And so you're not going to give your money to everybody else to fix things that you could fix yourself. So you got to take those classes so that you could save those thousands of dollars by fixing your car and your home, mm -hmm. the things that you could do. I'll so. tell you a funny story, Jamie. So when I turned 16, my dad told me that I could have his old Jetta, but I had to help him replace the engine. And so we did, we replaced the engine. I had to go, I mean, it would literally would have been like, Stephanie, turn this, Stephanie, do this. And I, I can't replace an engine, but I can certainly change the fluids in my car and like do some of the basics. But yeah, the rules were, if you want the car, this is the work you have to do. You're not allowed to leave the driveway until you know how to change tires and how to change your fluids. Like these are life skills and we lived in the country. So if something happened to your tire, you might, first of all, cell phones weren't really a thing. Then when they did become a thing, there was no reception. So there's nobody coming to help you and not very many people that drive by. So like you had to learn these skill sets so you could do them themselves. I, they, there were some shop classes when I was in high school what what does that look like now or do those programs exist in schools today there is they're not as they're they're coming back so for a while they just kind of removed it i've been to schools that have zero for shop class and then i've been to other schools that have a few tech programs but not always like you know they might not have a woodworking class or an auto class um so with the whole thing with the government now, they're really pushing skilled trades. And so they are trying to bring it back. And the great thing about COVID is that it really proved to us 
that construction is an essential career and that we're never going to be able to survive without you know people maintaining our infrastructure um so that's that's kind of one of the blessings of covid but yeah mm -hmm. and it, i think it's so true when you talk about the importance of it in schools because i can remember um my cousins were building a house and my dad would just ask to go over and wire it. And I went and helped him wire it. And my cousins were like, how do you know how to do that? I was like, well, we learned it in shop class and I really like doing it. I didn't choose it as a career. Certainly, I, you know, I was given the opportunity to do whatever I wanted, but I would have never known I could do that or, or if I liked it, that if we couldn't have had those types of experiences. Yeah. Well, you're very lucky that you had a father that did teach you some things like that because yeah. I want to hug your dad because those <laughs> are like, I appreciate parents that are supportive and really do encourage, especially young girls yeah. to, to learn these things. And you're right. I got stranded in the mountains a few years ago with a flat <laughs> tire, no reception, cold, middle of the night, you know, and thank God I know how to change a tire, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you, you, you might not want to have it as a career, but certainly learning some of the basics is really important to your point about, you know, having some basic programs in school. I, I was listening to some of the presentations you've given before and you talked about how your job is one of the 10 most dangerous jobs in the world. Can you talk about that? Yeah. When you, when you Google the top 10 most dangerous jobs in the world, ironworking always comes up in the top 10. So I do like to highlight it in a lot of my presentations. I mean, rules have changed. I mean, back in the day, if you didn't tie off, you were working up on the structural steel. They even had like a quota in job quotes of how many people they figured would, you know, lose their lives on jobs. It is still considered one of the top 10 most dangerous jobs in the world when you Google it. But to be honest with you, all the safety precautions and the measures that we take now, it's nowhere near that way anymore with the, the PPE, the tools, the equipment. If you are following an, um, the proper protocol and wearing your proper PPE and taking care of yourself, you keep your spider senses on all the time, mm -hmm. it's so safe. It's just for people who become complacent right. and don't tie off, that's when things happen. But it the thing that stood out to me was the visual of you showing some pictures of some big, you know, you think of the big skyscraper and the steel work that goes into that. And it's people like you that, that are doing that kind of work. And I was like, oh, wow, Jamie. <laughs> so, I know. so interesting. What are some of the misconceptions about your industry? Um, well, that, that's the other thing too. Not all work in ironworking is structural. Um, I'm from a local that it's not as much structural. Steel is more maintenance. So I'm more in steel plants and car plants and doing inside work and maybe pulling, you know, um, hoppers and chutes apart and putting them back together. It's not always doing that structural work. Um, a lot of the misconceptions about us as w women being in trades, we shouldn't be here. This isn't jobs for us, but honestly, like, what job do you know actually has a gender attached to it? It's about the passion, the drive that you have to succeed. If you have, you know, if you, if you have what it takes to be in a career, it doesn't matter what career you're in. I mean, years ago, men weren't nurses or hairstylists and, and now they're doing it. So it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't, to me, we need equality across the board and it shouldn't be a shocker when somebody says to me, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm an iron worker. And they're like, whoa, yeah. like it should like, oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And then just carry on with the conversation. Here's an interesting question. Sometimes because a lot of women aren't in that field and don't know a lot about it, I think I read somewhere it's 4% of women in trades. 
Yes. What, what is your reaction from women when you tell them? So it's, it's becoming more, uh, it's more accepted now because of the push. There's so much information out there. The government's pushing it. They're doing a lot of TV and um, news. Like it's just out there a lot more. So it is kind of getting out there. The message is getting across. I mean, you still get the wow factor, right? Because some women just, you know, are blown away. Some men are too. They're just blown away by the fact that a woman is doing these jobs, but man, you know, with all the advanced technology and tools and equipment and everything so much more ergonomically friendly, mm -hmm. we are really learning to work with our, our brains instead of our backs. And with the way that things are evolving in the industry, it's, it's not really as difficult as it once was. So we're, yeah. we're really highlighting that through the work that we do. And I'm seeing a lot of girls now sign up for shop classes and mm -hmm. enter into apprenticeships. Amazing. I would say too, for people who sometimes you're not sure what to say to somebody who works in maybe an unusual field. I know for myself as a lobbyist, people will ask me what I do and usually their face just goes blank or they might think that's interesting, but they don't know anything about that or how, um, how you would ask a follow-up question. But I think even asking people like Jamie and I, like, uh, what does that look like? Can you describe what you do? Can you tell me about your job? Like those, if you're interested, obviously, but those are questions you can ask. Um, right? Because when you, when you meet a teacher, like you had a teacher too, you can relate to it. Uh, so that's something that, that like sticks out for me anyways. Um, so I, I was reading too that, um, or you were sharing in the past that you were at times have been one of 400, like one woman amongst 400 men. Have you faced barriers because of your gender? Like what are, what are some of the challenges that you face? Oh, I'm sorry about the, I don't know if you can hear that. It's okay. I live next to a hospital, so. Oh, oh um, the sirens, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, okay, I'm going to tell, I'm going to just be honest. When don't you face barriers in life? I mean, as a, as a child, you face barriers in your own home. You have your own friends, your own family. You fight, there's gossip, there's, you know, you deal with barriers and challenges your whole life. Yeah. And to me, I don't think that it's, specific to a job maybe it gets highlighted more in construction because the percentage of women is so low on a job site and yes i've been on a job site where i'm the only girl with 400 men and i can tell you that throughout my almost 19 years now in the trades i've had a lot of animosity and negative feedback and a lot of times the men don't believe that i should be there i've had the biggest haters on the job site that just could not stand me but I've proven myself and I actually, I, I started to really enjoy the fact that a guy would tell me that I couldn't do my job or didn't think that I could be there because that's where I started to feel that I needed to prove them wrong. I did take it personally in the beginning, but then I remember Pat, my business partner now telling me like success is the best revenge. Mm -hmm. So when somebody tells you you can't do something, what are you going to do about it, Jamie? And I'd be like, well, maybe instead of going to the bathroom and crying or wearing a welding shield so they can't see that I'm upset. I'm just going to use their negative energy and use it as motivation to prove that I can do it just as good, sometimes even better than them. And that became my, like, that became my drive to succeed. And in the end, those haters, some, like some of the biggest haters shook my hand at the end of a job and said, you changed my perception of women in trades and thank you for doing what you do. And now they're supportive. And that's at the yeah. end of the day, 
that is the best revenge, right? Oh, it's chills. I love that story, Jamie. My, we interviewed recently a, a lawyer who, who was the first in her community um, to, to be a woman who was a lawyer. And she talks about that. Like it comes down to you doing your job well and your skill sets. And you might not change everybody's mind, but you do change so many people's minds. And, you know, by just doing your job, by being who you are, by, by standing up, uh, in the position, you just make such a difference. Like you've moved the needle for the women coming behind you just by doing your job well. Yep, I agree, I agree. And now a message from our sponsor. Is your marketing not working for you? Spoiler alert, it's not because you're using the wrong marketing tool, it's that you don't have the right message that clearly represents your brand and speaks to your ideal audience. If you're a passionate entrepreneur, Kelly Sinclair is the fairy brand mother who will help you unlock your unique brand and grow your business. Check her out at ks-communications.ca or DM on Instagram at ks underscore comms. ks-communications.ca or DM on Instagram at ks underscore comms. Thank you, Kelly. How can we better support young girls to see construction as a choice? So this is one of the areas that I really focus on. And I think that we need to go back in time to try and do this. So now that we have to go back in time, I think we need to start the education process a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. So I think that by normalizing the industry, so for example, I'm a female, I get to go into the schools and I get to talk to, I've talked to kids from kindergarten right through to like, college, university level, I've gone to detention centers, I've done a lot of work. And it's when you go into the schools and you talk to the really young students and you educate them and show them pictures and bring credibility to these jobs, that's where you're going to start to see the changes because now it's normal to them as they're growing up. And as they're going through school, they're not going to see that barrier the same way. And I'm encouraging them. I encourage them get into the shop classes in school. Even if you're the only girl, sign up, get some of your friends to sign up with you. And as we keep plugging them at a young age, that will start to, that's where we'll see success start mm -hmm. to happen in the future where things will really change. Yeah. It's so important. I remember we interviewed um, a scientist, Jen Heemstra, and I was telling her how my daughter is very good at math and really enjoys um, reading facts. And, you know, I've talked to her about jobs in research or science. Like what, what are some things that she, you were interested in? Or, or if you like math, there's lots of interesting things you can do with math. And, and she, even young, like six, seven would be like, oh, like I'm not interested in that, which is fine. And she may not be, but just for her to already shut down that those jobs aren't options for her if she's good at them and she likes them. Um, I just think it's so telling with where, you know, society is still at for young kids where it's like, you have to be these certain things. Yep. Like yep. we have a, a lot of work to, <laughs> a lot of work to still do, right? <sighs> They're still self-selecting themselves out because yep. of the way things are framed in society and what they see with their eyes and what they're told. Yeah. I know. And it's not helpful that you have like, you know, Hollywood coming out with all these movies that really don't make the trades look that attractive. It's always like men that are whistling at the girls on the streets and they're dirty and they're, you know, butt cracks hanging out and it just does <laughs> not appeal to everyone. 
the other thing is they don't understand what people don't understand about construction and this is where i love to really plug parents because parents don't want their kids to get in construction it's dirty where are they going to go from there yeah they don't understand how vast the opportunities are in construction like i mean you go in you finish your apprenticeship you do really good on a job you start getting promoted you start you know you become a foreman a general foreman a superintendent, a project manager, you can open up your own company. Yeah, lots of entrepreneurs. It's so good. And then even from there, what's crazy is, and I tell kids this, I'm like, if you want to be a structural or civil engineer, get into a trade first, utilize that trade and have that hands-on experience. It's going to make you a better um, engineer. And oh, the, the truth is, yeah, it's amazing. And, the, and what, what people don't understand is, so for somebody like me, I pay into a trade improvement fund. And so as an iron worker, if I decide right now, I want to become a safety officer or a welding inspector or civil engineer, I can literally go and use my trade improvement fund to pay for my education to further my career. So now I've got the experience and I can take that, that training through my trade improvement fund to further my career and become even more successful. But people just don't understand how vast mm -hmm. and viable the careers are and how wide you can take um, these experiences. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's a whole can of worms when you open it up. Yeah, that's really, it is really important messaging for parents to hear because if you didn't grow up with some of those things, like it just makes such a difference. And I loved what you said about you know, if you want to be a structural engineer and get, you know, getting your hands dirty. My husband is a mechanical engineer and he likes getting his hands dirty and, and, uh, you know, we'll get on the floor and like help. And, uh, sometimes he, he gets told he shouldn't be spending his time that way, but he likes doing it. And also he can be helpful, right? If the machine's down and nobody else is around, he can get in there and fix it. And, you know, those skill sets are, are really important uh, and to understand how to do your job better at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Jamie, before we jump into the final questions, is there anything you want to add? Um, not so far. I think we're going in a really good direction. I love that we're talking about stuff that I don't like. I, I There's certain questions I get asked repeatedly over and over again, and you're actually asking questions very differently. So I really appreciate that. Oh, that's good. Okay. Well, I wanted to close off by asking you some of the questions we ask all of our guests. So what is the best rule you ever broke? Oh boy, the best, I've broken a lot of rules. <laughs> the best rule I ever broke was that, I guess I'm going to say that, you know, being a woman in construction, it yeah. was something that I was completely told that I, I was never made aware of it. And even when I was considering it, I was told at the time that this is not something that girls do and I should consider a different career. And mm -hmm. you know what? I decided that that was not going to be my fate in life, that I was going to do something that I really loved and enjoyed. And I will tell you, construction for me has been the best medication for my ADHD oh, because my I've been diagnosed with ADHD my whole life. I had learning disabilities as a, as a kid. And getting into this industry has completely changed everything about my life. And so, yeah, I think that's the best rule I ever broke. Women can't do construction. I'm going to prove you wrong. I love it. You're making me think about last winter we replaced some flooring and 
we had our like we trained our kids how to do it too well first of all my husband trained me and then the, the girls they're 10 and 8 and my one daughter is a perfectionist and she was the best because I am not with the ADHD situation so like she would she would be the inspector and, and she she was slow but every piece that she laid was a hundred percent perfect and so like she did a lot of it and we're like great <laughs> amazing yeah oh it was it was fascinating to see that like okay she's a perfectionist but that makes her really good at laying flooring oh yeah that's that's awesome see with my adhd and my in like in skill traits i like the big heavy i like the the, the the work like that and as a as a welder side i like welding but i don't love welding the way i should because it requires being too tedious mm. and patient. And that's things that I don't have with my ADHD. Like I like the demolition. I like the big destructive stuff with the big steel that we're putting in, but yeah, I cannot do those fine details. Yeah. It, well, that's what makes up a good team, right? You need all kinds of people with different skill sets. What is the most valuable habit that was hardest to create? I guess, and this is my, this might be a little bit of a different answer. I'm not a morning person. So getting out of bed in the morning for me is, has always been difficult because I tend to stay up till, if I have to be up at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, for sure, for a fact, I will not be out of, I will not be in bed before three. Like I live on like maybe five hours of sleep a night and this thing proves it. Um, right. But I guess one of the hardest things for me was adapting to um, that lifestyle of getting up in the morning, going to work. I'll pick night shift over day shift anytime, but um becoming routine and having this habit where I had to do this actually became so much better when I found something that I love to do because mm -hmm. it gave me the motivation to get out of bed and go to work. And for a person who hates being up in the morning, when I discovered ironworking and I was able to jump out of bed excited at 6am to go to work, that was a huge thing. And the other part of that is that at the end of the day, there is a sense of accomplishment because you get to look back and see what you did Yes. and, and drive around. It's funny. I drive yeah. around the city with my friends and I point them like, ah, see that I built it. See this. I did this. <laughs> I, I worked on that with my team and my friends yeah. are always like, you tell us this every time we drive by. And they get <laughs> yeah. But it's important because people sometimes don't always put two and two together. And I love like for some people, uh, that sense of accomplishment piece is really important because I can tell you from being a lobbyist, sometimes there are things that you will lobby for 10 years, 30 years, and they do not change, um, you know, and, and some of the things that turn over quickly. And so it just goes to show finding the right people and the right skill sets and the right jobs is so important. For sure. And I give you tons of kudos for being a lobbyist because I don't understand politics. To me, that just seems like a whole other realm to me, that would be way more difficult than being a construction worker. Like that, oh, that's a difficult job. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Can you name another woman that inspires you? I have a whole list of women that inspire me. And Shelly, for example, is one of them. Um, Joanne, who I'm going to have to introduce you to, is the CEO of um, WIRE. She started WIRE, which is Women in Renewable Energy. My business partner her name is Pat Williams. She's a retired stationary operating engineer from San Francisco, I mean, from LA. And when I talk about women who inspire me, I can give you a whole list, but I'm going to say Pat as the number one. And the reason is this, 
every single time I've wanted to quit, mm -hmm. this woman has been my driving force. I call, I like, I always call her mighty mouse because this woman will drive me to succeed and she will always make sense out of every situation. And she has probably been through more than many women because she was in LA, a stationary operating engineer. She went through the seventies having to cover up the fact that she was gay. So she's gay in the trades and she has had the most incredible struggles and the most amazing successes. And if you ever get a chance, I don't know if you interview people down in the U S yeah, you need to interview her. Oh, she's, she's fantastic. And the things that she went all the way up to being the vice president of her union, which is the operating operators union in, uh, Los Angeles and that that woman will never let me get off track she keeps me in line and I love it, it. it sounds like we all need one of her um when Jamie was mentioning Shelly she's somebody that we interviewed uh, earlier in the podcast and she is the head of the Women's Trucking Association in Canada and that's a really interesting interview too about the work that she does and how important it is and she loves what she does she's, she's a great advocate um yeah, it's important, you know, a lot of the people we talk, a lot of our listeners, not all of them are also parents. So, you know, even for your own kids, these are important conversations, Jamie, for, for us to be having. Tell us about a book that made you wiser. Oh my gosh, my favorite book. And I don't read very much because with my ADHD, I mean, I haven't read a book in years, uh -huh. but my favorite book in the whole world is The Four Agreements. Um, I love that book. I, I live by it. I, I often quote it. I post it on my social media often because if you can learn to live by those four rules, man, does it ever make a difference in your life? So many people have said that book. I have not read it. I'm going to do it. I need to order it today. Yeah. Cause mm -hmm. honestly, so many people say it. And if you have uh, enjoyed it with a similar brain to mine, <laughs> then that'll be good. I used to love reading. I really, I still do love reading. I read a lot of stories about crime. I find that interesting because I just, I don't want to think anymore. My, my work is a very intensive analytical um, situation and I just need to change, but I've really come to love podcasts. I don't know. Is that something that you've gotten into? I don't listen to them very much, uh, very often. I should, because I have a team of ambassadors and they're constantly doing podcasts and I, I start to tune into them and then my mind just drifts off and I'll be, you know, yeah. doing whatever around the house. And then I, yes. all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I haven't heard the last 15 minutes of this. And then I, I end up yes. getting out. That was happening to me this morning. I was playing one, but also trying to work, which is a challenge for me. And I finally like paused it because it's and I really do want to listen to it. But I'm like, I can't do these two things. But then the other thing that happens is I do never slow down. Like, when am I going to sit down and actually listen to it, which is what I need to do to soak it in? It's a struggle. <laughs> it is. But the great yeah. thing about technology is you get your earbuds, you pop yep. it in, and you just, and then you just go on with your day, and it's in your ear. And although I think you're not actually paying attention to it all, I think your brain is still picking it up. Picking up some of it. Yeah. I, I think that's what I hope anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jamie, for, for sharing your time with us. And I will definitely be following up with you to learn about some of the other women that you can connect us with. Thank you. For sure. Thank you. Thanks a million for having me. And I will definitely connect you to some of the most inspiring people I know. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women Don't Do That. I hope you feel inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
stay connected on Twitter and Instagram at Women Don't Do That. I would love to have you join the conversation, so make sure you join our next Instagram Live. Find all our podcast and blog content at womendontdothat.com. Join me next time.